Well, the first thing that comes to mind when, when I think of that is that to tell that person things will change. It doesn't seem like it right now. When we feel lost or out of control, it feels like this is it. It's a terrible world. It's going to end like this, but things will change. And maybe that's the interrupter, right? Change. Welcome to the Prime Life Project podcast, a place to help you unlock your full potential, both mentally and physically, to become the best version of you. Welcome back to an episode of the Prominent Project Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel James, and today I want to talk about kindness. Today, I've got a really, really interesting guest. It's a topic that I've not really spoken much about on the podcast, but it's something that I talk a lot about when it comes to my clients, and that is kindness. Uh, and the gentleman today has wrote a book called Practice Intentional Acts of Kindness and Like Yourself More. And my guest today is Mr. Alan Questel. Alan, how are we? I'm good. How are you today? I'm very, very well. Uh, like I said, this topic acts of kindness it's something that we all wish we could be kinder i think i think we can all agree the world needs to be a bit of a kinder place For but sure. it's kind of where we fall short so that's what i kind of want to dive, delve into today but before we do yeah. what made you write this book like why did you well, feel compelled to write a book on this topic yeah there were a few things actually a number of things that led me up to it so one of the things i do in addition is i teach the feldenkrais method and there's two modalities to that. One's for private work and one's for classes. And in the classes, the movements are done in a very slow, small way that allows your attention to wander through yourself more and discover things. And I was putting together a workshop on self-image. And I started to think that our self-image was really a reflection of how much we like ourselves or how much we don't like ourselves. So if I have a good self-image, I like myself. If I don't have such a great self-image, I don't like myself. And after playing with this idea over time, I decided that this was my job to help people like themselves more. And it's funny because when I asked that, you know, I asked the question in any group I teach in, is there anyone here who doesn't want to like themselves more? And I always get this kind of sheepish smiles, you know, and stuff. Of course, I've never met anyone who doesn't want to like themselves more. And in the movements, what I started doing was asking people to move in a way that they like the way it feels. Now, I have to consider that this is a context that's not considered to any great kind of success, that most of us, when we want to like ourselves more, it's attached to something external. We do, we like ourselves more often by acquiring things, whether it's a new shirt or a car or a home or a partner that these are the ways that we satisfy this need to like ourselves, which is appropriate and great, but it's always based on something outside of me. Like, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of buying a new car. You buy a new car and you're driving around and you're just feeling great. And that lasts for a year until the next model comes out. And all of a sudden you're looking at the new model, wishing you had it. And all of a sudden it's like, this is not something that's sustainable. So my interest is, has been, how can someone find a sustainable way to like themselves? Now, this process is in, intrapersonal within myself. And then over time, I have been thinking about how do I make it, how can this become more interpersonal with others? And one day I, I happened to do an act of kindness and I noticed in the next moments, I like myself more. 
And I thought, that's it. That's the key. By generating acts of kindness, I can help myself with my self-image. And it's not to, I'm just going to do a bunch of kind acts to like myself more. It's really to find out that that act of kindness is a connection within myself, with myself, and with, with, with myself and with others. And so that was that was like one of the key things that really led me to write the book. And if I can tell you one more short story that mm -hmm. was another big part of it. So my father, in, in the later years of his life, he, he ran out of money. And fortunately, my brother and I could help him and support him. And then he developed dementia. And he was living in Florida. And it was the late spring. And we had to put him in a home finally. And it was a nice home. It was pretty decent. And um, I knew my stepmother was going to New York for the summer. And he was going to be all alone. Now, the funny thing was, I was never really close to my dad. We, we didn't have a bad relationship, but there was no real strong feelings for my end, at least. And then I got it in my head to call him every day since he was going to be alone. And I lived in California at the time. And so the time differences worked out really well. And I started calling him every day. And sometimes he was talking gibberish. I had put the phone down and still talking and... And I did that for three years. And it really taught me a lesson about the act of kindness, that, that kindness needs to be an action that's taken in the world that's concrete. And so I'd say those are two of the things that really led me to write the book. And here we are today. So I mean, uh, there's lots of here to delve into. So I just want to sort of loop back a little bit. I want to sort of talk about this self-image, because I think this yeah. is something that a lot of people struggle with, having a negative yeah. self-image. Now, from you just talking there, I just wrote down some notes. And for me, I think a lot of people have a poor self-image because mm. they want to be, let's say, good people. They want to be a nice person, kind, caring, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yet they don't have much evidence for it in their life. It's hard because people don't practice gratitude. They, they're not actively aware of all the oh. little things that happen every day. So my mm -hmm. understanding of this from what you've said, correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong, is that by doing these intentional acts of kindness, it gives you proof, it, physical, actual proof that you are a good person, which will then improve your self-image because it gives you facts to back up. Well, well mm -hmm. I, I, am, I am a good person because I'm doing these intentional things. Is that kind of, am I along the right lines with that? You're, all, you're definitely along the right lines. But now the thing is, like in my book, I start out, I think most people expect me to say, okay, this is how you're going to be kind. I don't start out with that. I start out with, Let's make a list of places you already are kind, mm. right? So we, we start with what you're already successful at, what you can do, what you can identify, and then you can build from there. But the important thing about becoming kinder is that it's, it's a long, it's a forever now process. It's not a place, oh, now I'm kind, I'm done. I don't have to think about it. And in fact, I found for myself personally that I would say I'm I'm pretty good at doing all the things that I write about in the book. And what I didn't realize, and it kind of bit me hard afterwards, was that now the next levels for me to be kinder seem even further away. So there are the everyday levels of kindness, but we need to practice them, right? But then as we get good at those, then the next level to really feel myself to be kinder is more of a challenge. And I present it that way. I said, this is not a light kind of 
you're going to be happy by the end of this book. This is a workbook. This is something that you're going to have to pay attention to and practice. Really, practice is the key. Are you saying that this is a skill as well? So if, if you're practicing it then, that, then kindness is then a skill, which then means it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a perishable skill because obviously you can develop a skill and then it means you can also yeah. lose the skill. So my That's understanding right. is that you, you you practice it, you get better at it, but right. to be a master at it, you kind of have yeah. to keep on yeah. doing it and almost check in with yourself. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. But even the word like to be a master at it, I would say that it's, I'm mastering it. Because I'm look, I'm a master in many domains of the things that I do. People talk to me in Japan, I'm sensei, I'm a master, all that stuff. And it's, I'm never very, very comfortable with that word because I'm still figuring things out and learning things, you know? And, you know, you spoke a moment ago about self-image. And it, it's an interesting thing because self-image, <clears throat> it's, it's what's called an explanatory principle. It describes a phenomena, but you can't hold it like gravity. I can drop something and demonstrate gravity, but self-image is something that is, it's, it's a representation of myself, how I think of myself, how I feel about myself. And I can say that children at an early age have a self-image, but their self-image is usually very positive and not very self-conscious, mm. right? And so when does it become self-conscious? When they evaluate themselves, when others evaluate them, and here's, a, here's a, maybe a different understanding of self-image so that we can look at self-image as being comprised of our thinking, our feelings emotionally, our sensing how we take in and process information and our movement, our actions in the world. And a change in any one of these aspects is the potential to change the other aspects. So to change how I think may change how I feel. If I change how I move, it may change how I sense. Now, to change how we think is definitely possible. There are many modalities and domains that explore that, but still it takes time. And it's something that we can trick ourselves. I can loop into, I think I'm thinking differently, but I'm not, right? Or my emotions. Now, when we deal with our emotions, this isn't a well-researched and well-misunderstood aspect of who we are because we don't really understand them. Because most of the time, many of us are feeling too much of something or we don't know what we're feeling. And how can they change? They can change quickly. The best model I think of for that is a baby crying. And you dangle some keys in front of their face and all of a sudden they're happy. Now, you can ask, can you do that with an adult? Well, you can if it's for the keys are for a Mercedes or a new dream house or something like that. But in fact, we don't understand that. Now, to change how we sense, that's like the cutting edge of neurology today of trying to understand how we process, take in information, do things. We don't have time for that. But if we change how we act, how we move in the world, that has an immediate concrete access to changing something in our self-image. And that's the potential that exists in all of us all the time. And we do it all the time, but in moments. Question again is, how can we do this on a more regular basis so that it's intentional? So that it's not just a rant. Look, there's a, I don't know if you have the bumper sticker where you are, but we have one practice random acts of kindness, which is great, right? And uh, the idea of an intentional act of kindness, and we have to be careful here, it doesn't need to be huge. It starts small and it builds.
I can give you a, a, another example of this that in my in my Feldenkrais training programs, which are four years long. So I was starting with this idea a number of trainings ago in Australia. And when I graduated people, I'd call out their name, they'd come up, I'd hand them the certificate, give them a hug. And I can't tell you how many people whispered in my ear, I like myself more now. And I thought, you know, that made this so worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And that feels like my mission to help people like themselves and to generate more kindness towards ourselves and towards others too. Alan, I'm very glad I had a coffee before we started this because you've, again, given me a lot to unpick here. So I want to I want to loop back again something you said. Sure. So great. Um, so I, I love all this. Uh, and again, it's when I'm working with clients. One of the biggest things I try and do is essentially to get them to 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 be a different person. For me, it's we want to do act differently to right. have a different result. So if you want to have a different result, you have to do mm -hmm. different actions, cause and effect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But for me, the, the missing part of that formula is you've got to be a different person. So if you want to be a kind, if you want to to to, to take the action of being being kind, you have to become a kind of person someone that actually yeah. intentionally practices right. the act of kindness so can we just i just want to look back about the thinking because for me it's that intentional act of thinking this is my understanding i want to sort of question you on this my, yeah. my understanding of this is that again improving our self-image becoming a different person having different results starts with changing our thinking and as you sort of mentioned like you can change your thoughts temporarily and then you go back to old thinking patterns so my understanding of this is that if we're more intentional about our thinking and we're intentionally trying to um, call out negative thought patterns, paradigms, uh -huh. belief systems, whatever, then over time, we can then start to reprogram yeah. how we see ourselves. Is that sure. kind of how it works? Very close. I would, make, I would make one kind of exception to it, because if I talk about these four aspects of self-image, of thinking, feeling, sensing, and moving, and you're talking about changing how we think, which I agree with 100%. But sometimes our thoughts are not congruent with that, they, or our feelings are not congruent with that. And so what happens is people wait to make a change until they feel a certain way, or they wait to make a change until their thoughts are clear. And what I'm suggesting is, no, let's act first and see what happens. Because often in new actions that are different from how I normally see myself, it's not that comfortable. I have to sometimes struggle with it a little bit to feel, is this really me, right? But the action for me precedes the thinking and the feeling. And then you have to deal with the thoughts and the feelings. I'll give you a great example of this, okay? So in one chapter of my book, I talk about generosity and different aspects of it. And I give exercises at the end of each chapter of concrete things you can practice and do. And one of the things I suggest is that, well, this is a, an American idea, of course, that in a restaurant, when you tip someone after the meal. So if you tip someone for every $5 that you tip, add another dollar. So if it's $10, make it 12. If it's $20, make it $24. And I literally was writing this and I went out to dinner that night with some friends and I picked up a check and it was an inexpensive place. It was about $70. And I thought, okay, normally I give 20%. So that's about $85. And I had a hundred dollar bill with me. And I thought, oh, I'm going to give the whole hundred dollars. And in that next moment, I clutched 
I like got so uptight and like, that's too much. And all these thoughts went through my head that were all negative. And I shouldn't do that. That's crazy. What are you thinking? And I realized those are my thoughts. That's my thinking. And my action was I gave it anyway. Mm-hmm. I kind of differentiated my thoughts from my action. And the best thing was when I got to the exit, the waitress came up to me and said, you just made my night. And so here are thinking, can you see my thoughts were all telling me to stop? Don't do this. It was too much. You made a mistake. But my action then led me past that into another area. So I want to start a challenge. That yeah. Because because uh, you said, uh, I thought about whatever yeah. you said. So then you, you thought before you actually went to do it before the negative thoughts kind of popped up. So I would then uh-huh. argue that the thinking came before the action. Oh, maybe. But, but, okay, but, but, yeah. but, but then you're old. I just want to clarify something because I said, yeah, yeah. because for me, I'm thinking that for me, everything that I've understood with stuff is that it's the thoughts that come first. And I understand your point with the actions, but this yeah, thing yeah, where, yeah. People, where people get stuck because they, they will, they will, they, they will think about, Oh, Alan says this tipping. And then they will have the thought, ah, I'm going to tip. Okay, that's the positive. But then they get caught up in the other part. That's that makes true. sense. Does that, that, that make sense? sense. So, so, so Absolutely. Because people will be listening yeah, yeah, to yeah. this and they'll get so, oh, yeah, but, and they'll get, so I just wanted to sort of clarify that you've got to have yeah, that yeah, yeah. first, but then you've got to have that intention, which I'm never going to speak about, the intention right. of what kind of yeah, person yeah. do I want to be? Do I want yes. to be the kind of person that argues with myself about leaving this tip that I said I was going to do, or do I want to be the kind of person that sticks to my word, which I think is a big thing with this self-image is actually sticking right. to your word and saying you're going to do something yeah. and actually following through. Is that, am I making sense? I want to clarify that. Is that, is that Perfectly, yeah, absolutely. I think you're really accurate. That was very insightful of you. Thanks. Uh, it's only because I said this topic, I, I love talking about this and the, the stories that you're saying, I literally <laughs> haven't tried so many notes to catch with the with trail of thoughts over again with this. I, I, I absolutely <laughs> love it. Um, so let's just loop it back around then. Because um, we've then spoke about um, kindness being a doing thing. Like we, right. we actually do acts of kindness. Can we talk a little bit more about that then? Because for me, it, it's like I said, it's normally random acts of kindness. As you said, it's you, you, you at Starbucks or whatever it is. And right. again, you have the thought, I'll buy the coffee for the person behind me. What are some subtle things that we can do to be kinder to ourselves? Because I think oh. it, it, it's, it's mainly, like I said before, I think a lot of people... They're not kind to themselves. Yeah. They don't have a good self-image. Right. And I think that's where a lot of issues come from because with the thing of social media nowadays, it's really easy to oh, be feel, yeah. feeling uncomfortable. Right. And then we see something bad happen. And then because we're not feeling good, we then project that onto the people. Yeah, so sure. how, how do we start to actually practice this kindness within ourselves? Okay. So the first thing I need to tell you is when I was writing the book, and I got to the part about kindness towards ourselves, I got blocked for about five years. Five years? Five years. It was five years before I was able to really get back to it and feel like, oh, now. And really what I discovered was, as I thought I was kind to myself, I discovered I really didn't. I really wasn't. I I really needed to learn a lot more about that. And so I think the first thing about being kind to ourselves we have to start out really small, something that we can find success in, right? Because mm-hmm. often people's ideas of being kind to themselves, they overwhelm themselves right away with all these shoulds and what could be and all these things like that, as opposed to saying, can I do something really tiny every day towards myself that 
will help me like myself more. So I see these things as you know intrinsically related like that. So what kind of things could we do? Well, I have one thing I talk about called intentional chit chat. So, you know, in every shop or on the phone with people, we're always saying, hi, how are you? Nice day, have a nice day, blah, 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 all that stuff. But then is that really a sense of connection by doing that? I don't think so. And I think that the the, the people's desire to, to, to be kinder to themselves is, I, I have a quote in a book from a, a Zen teacher I had. It said, we can view our desire to change as an act of aggression towards ourselves. Can you say that again for me? Yeah, sure. When, well, we can view our desire to change as an act of aggression towards ourselves. Ooh, so you're basically destroying that old identity. So it's That's like, right. Yeah. yeah. But can we really destroy the old identity? I don't think so. I think we can add on to it, evolve it, change it, change the proportions of it in terms of who I am. So something like that means maybe, and again, I think it's much harder, as was my experience, to be kind to ourselves than to others. But then if it's intentional, I can do a small thing like I'm in the grocery or something and talking to someone and just stopping and saying, so how's your day going? But not just how's your day going, to really look at the person and ask them the question. I had a good friend who's a neuroscientist. Unfortunately, he just passed away. And I actually got this idea from him probably 40 years ago. We were in a bank in New York and he was in front of me online. And he got up to the teller and he said to the teller, so how's your day going? And it, it shocked me. I looked up like, what? And the teller kind of got stunned for a moment and then said, it's going pretty well. How's yours? And all of a sudden, there was a feeling of connection, right? And so I think that an easy road towards being kinder to ourselves is finding the connection to and through and with others as well, okay? And then we can look at things like doing things. Like many times we feel... We're in a relationship and we wish the person would do this or do that, or we want certain things. But then there's a question, can I do it for myself? That's a tricky thing. You know, I had the fortune and misfortune when I was in university of getting caught shoplifting. And I, I took things that I needed. It was, I wasn't, you know, random about that. I wasn't careless. But I got caught and they put me on disciplinary probation for a year. And of course I had to behave, otherwise they'd kick me out of the school. But the interesting outcome of that was, wow, I realized that I shoplifted because I was I didn't know how to ask for what I wanted or needed. Mm. And so it's these, you know, these, these seemingly bad events that can turn into a real gift to understand something like that. And, and I think that a lot of the, the way we can become kinder to ourselves is to change our perspective. Mm. And, and that's true in almost any kind of change is to broaden our perspective, to, to get a bigger picture of something rather than staying locked into a small detail. And these are the kind of things where, you know, I, I, I give exercises for people to do that it's not such a, here's a great example of it, I think, okay? And now, I, I, this doesn't fall directly into the purview of um, being kind to myself, 
but but then again it does so when i was 19 i moved out of my parents house and what i discovered at 19 was i'm not good at anything that was my self-image i was a abject failure at 19. i mean you haven't lived long enough to be a failure right but i was already a failure and then i got it in my head i'm gonna learn to do one thing well and i picked brushing my teeth and it was a great choice because it was something i did every day a couple of times a day if i didn't do it no one knew maybe the dentist but he already knew mm -hmm. right and so i started practicing brushing my teeth every day and it was there's an intentional act towards feeling better about myself and over time as i as i did that what I realized was that all of the injunctions that I created about not brushing my teeth, that I was doing that in other areas of my life. Mm -hmm. And that by doing this one little thing well, I was able to do another little thing well, and then something bigger well, until I felt like I had the means to do things well. I understood myself in that way. And I would say that that liking myself, I mean, to me, that's a, a direct correlation to being kind to myself, mm. right? to, to, to caring about myself. The next one sort of looks back to what I said earlier on about um, people's self-image is because they can't keep promises to themselves. They keep letting themselves down. They say they're going to lose weight. They say they're going to save money. Right. They say all these things and they're right. constantly letting themselves down. So my understanding of that is what you're saying is actually just do something really small, simple and basic that you can do and no one else knows. And what happens is by right. doing that, you keep that promise to yourself. You then have the confidence, right. ah, I can do what I say I'm going to do. And then it slowly builds up, slowly builds up. Um, right. I also want to look back to something you said about the, um, the, the neuroscientist uh, that you mentioned, uh, you finally just passed with, uh, just actually wanting to listen to people, having that genuine yeah. connection. Because I do the same thing when I go and get coffee. I will generally ask the, the barista person, like, oh, how's your day going? And just try and right. make a bit of conversation. And it almost yeah. shocks them that someone's yeah. actually taken the time. But here's the thing, yeah. you then get a better quality of service. And same with the restaurants. So if you Definitely. talk to the server, talk to the server like a real person, have that connection, yeah. laugh, blah, 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 rather than just the bog standard. I did this when I was um, uh, traveling to Ireland. So I was there on a workshop uh, and this taxi driver, again, strong Irish accent. And he could tell that, um, obviously I was English and we were chatting away. I just started asking him about himself, just genuinely asking him about, yeah. Certain things, and then he gave me right. so much information about the area. When I went to Barbados, the same thing. So I was a taxi driver, yeah. and I basically said about, oh, you know, how have you guys dealt with the last three years and so? And then he was like, oh, it's been devastating. I said, oh, tell me more about that. And he started, and then by the end of it, he was telling me all the best places to eat and all this stuff. He went, oh, you guys have been yeah. amazing. If you need anything, and yeah. all it is just actually taking the time rather than just a, oh, what time did you finish? Oh, just right. I, I, I'll, I'll get this, whatever. It's just right. actually saying, listen, like you're going to be serving me today, or you're driving me to where I'm going to go. Let me yeah. just find out about this person. And yeah. people genuinely love and they can feel it. And it makes you feel yeah. good that they're there expressing themselves. That's right. It? It's so cool. That's right. That's right. But you know, where this is a, you know, there's a place where this is a challenge. This is a challenge for introverts. Mm, yeah. Introverts are like, oh, I'm not talking to people in the street. No, I don't want to talk to the taxi driver. No, no, no. So I suggest to them, do it on the phone. The guy, you can always hang up if you want, you know, right? But do it in a place where you feel safe. Because it, it, we need to respect the different qualities that we have, whether we're introverted or extroverted, and, and, and to be able to cultivate it in a way that makes sense to me, to you, to yourself when you do something like that. I can share with you 
another listening story that that really impacted me and it's part of that so i was on a plane from europe going back home and i was on the aisle seat and there were two seats next to me there were two women there one was asian the other woman she, she was a little special okay special how well she was looking out the window and talking and jabbering away and saying, look at that, I could see my suitcase. Can you see your suitcase? I can't believe it. And this Asian woman's trying to read a book and she keeps talking to her. And finally she turns to the Asian woman and says, are you Japanese? I've never met a Japanese woman before. And the woman says, no, I'm Korean. I've never met a Korean woman before. And, blah, 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 blah. and I'm like, oh my God, eight hours of this. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. And at some point I turn around and the, uh, Asian woman is gone and the special woman is there and she tries to catch my eyes and I just keep going, right? And sometime later, I turn around again and the Asian woman, the Korean woman is back. And I said, I just got to ask, what happened? And she said, well, I complained to the flight attendant because she was driving me crazy and they put me in business class. But then she wanted her turn in business class. And I'm thinking, oh, the poor person in business class. Well, Another couple of hours go by and I turn around again and the special woman is there and she catches my eye this time. And I feel myself doing this, just pulling away. And I think we all know people like this, that someone you know who's too demanding or too needy, who just, they're like, like this to you and all we do is pull away from them. But in that moment, I caught myself. I caught myself doing that and I went, no. And I kind of leaned forward and I started talking to her. And we talked for about five minutes. And after five minutes, I said, you know, I'm gonna go back to my book now. And she went, okay. And then I realized, imagine this person's world. This person who's very needy and demanding and everyone she goes to is pulling away, which does what? It makes her more needy, more demanding. But to really lean in to have the conversation was one where she felt fed and recognized and seen. And then it was easy for me to take myself out of the conversation and she was comfortable with it. And sometimes people say to me, well, that you're on a plane, that's different. You know, what about if you're at work and there's someone like that and now they want to be friends? And I went, you know, I, I understand that, but I've never had that experience when now someone wants to be our friend, my friend. It's like they, they respect the boundaries. They're just happy to have that moment of time like that. But see, now that's a change at both ends. That's a change in my self-image to be able to come forward like that. That's a change in how I interact. That's a kind act. And it's one where I feel like, oh. Now, I also have to be clear about my boundaries, that if someone feels... I feel that there being too much coming at me. I have to say, I need to stop now. And to be able to say that, not I need to stop now, but I need to stop now. Is that okay? Right, let's talk another time. So, it's, communica it's communication, isn't it? And I think on so many yeah. different points here is, it's the energy that you bring to a situation. Yes. If you bring fire with fire, so that lady was bringing fire, and you were going to bring fire with that and get a bit confrontational, you kind of checked yourself and went, I'm going to bring a yeah. bit of water to this situation. Yeah, it neutralizes it. And again, at work, same sort of thing. It's, it's, it's your intention when you're going into that. Are you trying to cause conflict? Or are you, or are you actually genuinely trying to be a decent person and actually right. have this conversation with this person? Blah, blah, blah. Right. But say, as soon as you then get their need, they get their need met. And then you yeah. set that boundary. 
Well, right. at least now you've said, this is my boundary. Whereas previously, right. that lady had no boundaries, which is why she was right. like, jabbering away, because no one had said right. to her, listen, these are my boundaries. But what right. you've done is you kind of met her, let her have her say, let her get it out of the system. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of build that rapport a little bit. And then you're like, yeah. here's my boundary. Now, if she then right. steps over that boundary, different conversation. But most of the time, people just need to kind of know where the boundary actually is. And That's you right. can't blame other people for crossing the boundary that you haven't That's set right. or articulated. I think it's the same in relationships. Oh, my partner's always doing this. Or, okay, have you told them that that bothers you? Well, no, they should know. Should they? Like maybe if you actually <laughs> yeah, right. communicate, and that's the big thing is that communicate. I think nowadays, again, when it comes to social media and stuff, I feel like it kind of all sort of links in that we're finding it hard to like ourselves more because we're not as connected because we're struggling to communicate. And we say we've got friends, but the people on the people on Facebook that we've never met yeah, or Instagram followers, it's, but, but actually yeah. to have that conversation in person, I think that's kind of where we're lacking as human beings is that actual face-to-face -face connection. Like I know we're doing this over Zoom. However, because it's just me and you, I'm looking into your eyes, but you're, right. I'm listening when you're talking, you're listening right. when I'm talking. It yeah. builds that connection again. I think we've kind of lost that ability to communicate effectively that builds a connection. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I do. And I, I think I would say that the social media aspect and of course COVID and spending more time on Zoom simply amplified a direction that it was already an issue for us that we didn't even realize, you know, that I think that it's it's anything that in a world that's filled with distractions, like I always wonder, I have no idea, maybe I really wouldn't like it. What would it be like to be in a world without television, without te telephone? Well, you know, when Y2K was going to happen, remember Y2K, everything mm -hmm. was going to crash and everything. I was kind of looking forward to it. I was like, great, <laughs> no more email. I can just talk to on the phone with people again, and that's it. And I mean, so many conversations still today through email, I just call the person because I know, or a text, we're gonna go back and forth and back and forth. And if I call them, it's gonna take a minute, right? Mm -hmm. And it, 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 and it's clear and you hear the tone of voice and the feeling behind it and stuff like that. But yeah, our culture, again, it's like kind of, you know, being liked on Facebook or something like that, or you, or it, it, it's like, it becomes a measure of who we are. And for, for young people today, that, there's a tremendous amount of suffering through something like this. And, and the other thing we have to realize is that, you know, before all of that, things didn't happen as fast. Hmm. Now, someone does something and they post it and boom, everyone knows about it. And it just takes over. So there's a speed to it as well. It feels kind of irreversible for many people especially young people who take it all to heart so much you know would you also say there's a big thing on comparison there as well that nowadays oh. we're, we've got such an and it, again linking me back to that whole uh liking ourselves um with especially from such a young age uh, like i said at 19 years old like i said you, you said you your self-image was that again you weren't good at anything i think the issue now is you've got 12 13 14 15 year olds that are feeling that same way and as you mentioned you're 19 like you're not meant to be good at really anything like but at such a young age now they're comparing right. themselves to whereas before if you think about it when you were in school when i was in school you basically compare yourself to your peer group of people on the playground that was it now right. you've got access to the whole world of people your That's age right. which is then yeah. again I, I think the reason i'm saying this is we've got problem now as adults so again i'm 34 so i believe now there's an issue with people i'm talking to on a regular basis that are between the ages of i know she's younger than this but i'm talking about when people are really matured uh, emotionally from the ages about 28 to 45 there's this mm -hmm. group of people that are struggling so much mm. with comparison 
Yes. But then look at what's going on nowadays in school. So these kids aren't even 18, 19 yet. What are they going to be like when they're right. this age? Yeah, because they've been brought up on a completely different dynamic and their okay. view of reality is so warped. So, so my question off the back of that is, how can we from an earlier age instill in our children, so people listen to this, maybe got kids mm -hmm. or brothers, sisters, whatever. How can we instill these acts of kindness towards ourselves? How can we combat this comparison that we're faced with almost on a daily basis? Yeah. So uh, I'm going to go back a little bit and say that this whole action of comparison is really where our self-image starts to get skewed, right? And so that existed before the internet, right? Comparison, right? So it's always been there. And, and you know, how many kids wanted what the other kids had? And then your parents would say, well, I can't afford it or something or it's not right you don't need to do what every other kid my mother would give me that you know you don't <laughs> do what every other kid would do and stuff like that yeah. and so the comparison is an essential part of it but i don't think we can get rid of comparison i think that seems to be a function of the cultures that we're in maybe just a human condition i don't know right but rather than get rid of comparison but that's the place to have a conversation about well, what, do, what do you want? Do you want just want what someone else has? Why? Because you think they're cool and you would be cool if you had something like that? I mean, look, I just bought a new car and I'm kind of utilitarian about cars. And, you know, I didn't go for the fanciest car. It's like, yeah, I, it's like, why do I have that fancy car? So that when I'm driving around, people think differently about me. Right, we're back to the that comparison exists it's rampant in everything we do and to be able to have a conversation with a kid because you i've seen it in kids i've seen the transition where all of a sudden their orientation has gone from their interests and what they like to do and coloring and doing different things to all of a sudden thinking they need to have something else mm. to be happy to be better at something and it's i think it's a constant process not just with kids, with the age range you're talking about too, 28 to 40 something. It's like, how do we get redirected into something that's fulfilling ourselves internally? So it's like that idea that I was talking about, about how do we like ourselves more? Well, is it an external orientation or we can learn to develop it internally? And internally means not just moving in a way that you like the way it feels, but that what are you interested? What do you wanna pursue? Can you, can you find that? You know where I see this? A really clear example of this that's been consistent, I would say, from everything I've seen is kids that are homeschooled. Mm. Kids, that are, kids that are homeschooled are pursuing the things that they're interested in. Mm. And that engages them in a different way, mm. right? And so that they're not, they still make comparisons about themselves and want things, of course, all of that. And, you know, then, then there are many kind of, Schools, I know people in Waldorf schools that don't let their kids have phones or do too much, any social media and stuff, which sometimes backfires and makes them want it even more. Yep. You know, yep. so it's a tricky thing. And so I don't think there's like a one way to handle all these things. We need many choices in how we do it. And maybe that's the answer right there. Maybe the answer there is what choices do you have and what choices are you making? So it's not just the one choice. I have to have that. I have to be that way. 
that can I be different ways? Can I look at all the things available and then choose between what I want? And I would say this idea of want, I'm talking about it in a very big way, that it's the want that we have that makes us want to like them ourselves more. It's the want that we have to be kinder. And if we have the want to do something, then I think we can find the path to succeed in it, mm -hmm. to travel along it or to get better at it over time. I think you're right there. So you can't make anyone do anything. So if people don't want to be kinder, then they're not going to be yeah. kinder. It's like you could take the horse to water, but you can't make it drink or and then mm -hmm. you can't wake someone that's pretending to be asleep. Like it, people mm -hmm. can say they want to be happy and kinder, but fundamentally, if they don't want to be happier, I, I don't know who wouldn't want to be, but okay, cool. Then you just carry on doing what you're doing. And when you're ready, there's stuff out there. Um, I want to yeah. talk about awareness because like I said, yeah. for me, the encompassing thing of all this really that we've spoke about in sort of summary is about awareness because Definitely. without awareness, we don't really have anything. And there's a quote here that I got from you on another podcast that said, to grow ourselves, we have to become aware of what we're doing so we can do what we want to do. So can we mm -hmm. sort of talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, we can talk about that statement or we can talk about awareness first, mm -hmm. right? So, so like if I went out in the street and I stopped 20 people and I said, would you like to like yourself more? 20 of them would go, okay. You know, some may say, I already like myself. I said more. Oh, okay, sure. Why not? But if I stopped 20 people on the street and said, would you like more awareness? Some of them would go, huh? What, what do you mean? Right? So awareness, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about, I think you and I engage in this way, is about being somewhat self-reflective to grow ourselves, to help ourselves in some way. But awareness is a really tricky thing. And when I teach about awareness, pretty early on, I said, look, I have to be honest with you and give you the bad news about awareness, okay? So the first thing is, when people think of becoming aware, they think they're gonna become aware of only the good things. And in fact, the, the light of awareness shines itself on everything. So when you become aware, you're gonna become aware of some dark stuff, mm -hmm. right? It's like, this is not so easy to feel to deal with. And now that's the not so bad news. There's worse news about awareness. Awareness is irreversible. Mm. You can't become ignorant again. You can go into denial, but that probably takes more work than just paying attention to something. So awareness, we can look at awareness as what is awareness? People talk about awareness as being the same as consciousness related. Maybe in our language today, that makes sense. But being aware of something is not just paying attention. Being aware is knowing what I'm actually doing. Mm. That that And that's a concrete thing. That's not, I'm aware that something's going on in the room. Well, we need to be aware concretely of what's going on in the room. And I'll tell you, this is, uh, I hope this is along the same track. You'll, you'll let me know. This is something that, this is a question I have. So for example, to, to make a change in myself, to do something, I have to catch myself in that moment to become aware, right? Mm -hmm. And if I don't do that, I just go on in my habitual way. Mm -hmm. And I'm still trying to figure out how to help people open themselves to that moment of catching themselves. Like, 
like w w one example of that is a, is a mantra I created, right? And so I was flying back from Europe. I'd been teaching there for a month. I was very tired. I'm on a plane. I'm, and then I start thinking about where I have to go a week and a half later and all the stuff I have to prepare for that. And I got completely overwhelmed. So here you imagine, I'm in this state of overwhelm, just my mind is racing, I'm feeling terrible. It's like, oh, what's gonna happen? But I caught it. I caught myself ruminating like that. Mm. And it's that catching that moment, that's the thing that I'm trying to figure out how to help people find. What happened was I caught myself in that moment and I, I, I came up with a question. I immediately said, Alan, is this a good time to be thinking about this? And the answer was a blanket. No, this is a terrible time to be thinking about this. You're tired. You're on a plane. You can't do anything. You don't have materials to prepare. What are you thinking about all this stuff for? And you know what? I started to settle and calm down for about an hour. And then after an hour, the noise picked up again. And I... Da, da, and and then I went, oh, I, oh, wait a minute, I'm doing that again. Oh, is this a good time to be thinking about this? No. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, every time now when I catch myself in that kind of state and I ask myself that question, the answer is always no. Mm -hmm. Always no, right? It's like, this, it's like, what am I doing? I'm just making myself crazy here. But like I have friends or people who I work with who that interruption part of awareness is a hard thing to find mm. now rather than judge them or myself or others about that i would say that one example of growing ourselves is not that i get rid of those thoughts i don't have them anymore i still have those thoughts but that i don't linger in them as long mm -hmm. i can catch myself sooner and move away from it get out of it like that mm. and so for me Awareness is like the, it's like being in the water. Awareness is the water we have to swim in to make these changes, to, to be kinder, to like ourselves more. Mm. And it's, uh, but then again, you have to want it. Like mm. I had a friend once <laughs> in Australia and he wrote me this letter and I it, it was like, 12 it was before the engine it was a long time ago and it, it was it must have been 12 pages long and the first page was f therapy you know and he was just pissed off and ranting about it and i didn't know how to respond for a long time i read the letter several times and it probably took me a month to say look you chose to go down this road you can't go back right and that's like the downside of awareness but the other side of it is if you pursue it and stay with it, you come out to the other side where it's a little sunnier again. It's mm -hmm. not that there aren't dark moments again, but it's a, it's, it's a process that, that you need, I, I think we need to be committed to, to engage in. Yeah. I, I love what you said there again, about when you come aware, it's the good and the bad. And I think that it starts off and you're aware of the good. And then I think then very quickly yeah. you become aware of the bad. And that's when people yeah. stop down this journey of self-awareness because right. they become aware of all stuff and it's, it gets a bit tough. They become yeah. aware of things that aren't so great. And then they, oh, I'm just going to pretend this didn't happen and carry on with their lives. Um, I think it's interesting to there because you mentioned about when we get stuck in those negative thought patterns, the, the key is to become aware of it in the moment that you can't do anything in the past 
or the future. Right. It's only in the now that you can do something about it. Now, something I teach my clients about this is that that thing of self-reflection. So mm-hmm. once you get yourself into a tizzy, can you just mm-hmm. reflect what was going on? Because mm-hmm. the more you start to notice your patterns, you can then right. catch yourself when you're mm-hmm. getting into that state before it kind of becomes a thing. I'm starting to I'm starting to feel that way again, where uh-huh. I'm about to go into that negative thought spiral. So they're right. aware of themselves. And it's that right. So I've just spent the last hour ruminating on my ex-partner. Why why did yeah. that happen? And then you kind of notice that it started with maybe, I don't know, something popped up on um Facebook uh, memories or something. And then right. you go, right. So that was the trigger for me. So I need to make sure I remove that from coming up. And you just kind of like become right. aware of like, well, what caused me to do that? And once you right. then get access to that and realize your patterns, you can then do something about it. Because without that awareness, as you said, you can't do anything. You're just stuck right. blindly on Groundhog Day, repeating the same patterns, right. the same relationships, the same friendships, the same job, right. all these things. And it's you're the common denominator. And I think this is where from right. a lot of people struggle with this as well, because it's that taking responsibility. Once you yeah. realize that your life is a collection of your past thinking, your past actions, and uh-huh. if you don't like it right now, it's taking responsibility of, right, yeah. this sucks, but actually yeah. I can do something about that. Right. And then kind of so, empowering people. So, so I, I, yeah, I agree with you 100%. And for me, the, the, there's a, what I always am looking for is the concrete thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I give you. I'm gonna kind of read you something from the book. Absolutely, of course, you can. Yeah. So, so it's a quote actually from Ramdas. He says, "When you go out into the woods and you look at trees, you see all these different trees, and some of them are bent. You sort of understand that it didn't get enough light, so it just turned that way. And you don't get all emotional about it. You just allow it. The minute you get near humans, you lose all that." And you're constantly saying, you are to this and I'm to this, the judgment mind comes in. And so I practice turning people into trees, which means appreciating them just the way they are. So I mentioned earlier that, you know, writing this book put me in a position where like the next step for me to be kinder was like a big, like the, the rung on the ladder got unreachable almost. And I would say that, you know, one of the things that I do, and I think we all do, but I'll just speak about myself, is that I make up stories about people. I'm in an airport and I'm looking at someone and I'm, I'm making up some dark, negative story about them or even a positive story about them. But it's a story. And living with this quote for a while, so I was somewhat aware that I do this with people. I am aware of it now. And I'd been aware of it for a while, I think. But how could I interrupt it? And so like this quote, I can't carry this quote around with me and say, oh, I got to read this quote again. <laughs> That's going to take too long. By the time I do that, it's like, ah, oh, who cares? You know. So what I've started to do is to narrow it down into one word. So if I catch myself doing that, I just go tree. And it's like the story just dissolves and I'm just seeing another person, right? And so... All the habits, the patterns that we're in of the same thing over and over again, I think there needs to be a very clear one one syllable word that I can pop myself away from it, mm-hmm. okay? Because if I go into a, like, look, a mantra is a great thing and it helps many people, but it's too long, right? And I've got to say it every day and, and I've got to work with it like that and it, it's like can i just find 
some little thing that lets the light in all of a sudden, mm. right? Just a little crack, you know? I love that, lets the light in. I love, I, I can just see. So, so, so one of my missions, or my big mission, is to shine light into people's lives where there's darkness. And Me too. <laughs> as, soon, as, soon as, as soon as you've said that, I just picture someone in darkness and just a word and just a little speck of light, a little grain of, and that's it. As soon as you've got that one light, you give people hope, which is fundamentally yeah, all that's right. to give, give people hope that things get better. Yeah, and yeah. I love the idea that you've said there about just having that one, that one word, just a pattern disrupt that just you yeah. catch yourself and it's just a, yeah. I, I think that's ap- I, honestly, this, this last five minutes you've gone down here. Like it's one of my favorite five minutes. It's absolutely incredible. Um, that I'm really respectful of your time. So I just want to ask you one final question. I ask all my guests. Okay. This is genuine, Alan, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate your time and the value that you give my audience here. I, I've had a great time too. I appreciate it. The, the final question is, and again, uh, you can take this on either summarizing what we've said before or yeah. give a completely different answer that comes to you. What advice would you give to people or someone right now? What advice would you give to someone that's listening to this podcast that feels lost and out of control with their life right now? Huh. Well, the first thing that comes to mind when, when I think of that is that to tell that person things will change. It doesn't seem like it right now. When we feel lost or out of control, it feels like this is it. It's a terrible world. It's going to end like this, but things will change. And maybe that's the interrupter, right? Change. Mm. But then you can go loop right back into it. But when is it going to change? I need it now. So then patience. Change and patience are, are, are the things that can allow us to see the light at the end of the tunnel, the hope see the possibilities and i'll add a third word to that choice to really think about what what because someone who feels that way in my experience doesn't experience much many choices they feel like they're they're stuck there's no choices so that's the thing how can you generate choices you know i'm going to veer off a little bit i hope it's okay absolutely so I i have another book called creating creativity, embodying the creative process. And when I ask people, I ask this question to groups. I say, how many people here feel you're creative? And a number of people do that. And some people do that. And some people just do that. Right. So, so just for people on the audio audience, uh, some people put their hands straight up, some people kind of apprehensive, and some people kind of put their heads down, just so the audio yeah. listens to this, yeah. Good, yeah, thanks for that. And now, then I ask another question. I said, do you know someone who's more creative than you? And everybody's hand goes straight up. Everyone knows someone who's creative. So what's the difference? There's only one difference that I see, that the person who you see is more creative sees choices that you didn't see. So to me, creativity is about that. Like you'll go to their house and there'll be a Chinese parasol turned upside down as a light fixture, and you think, "Oh, I never would have thought of that. That's so cool," you know. So they're just seeing different choices. So then, how can you generate more choices? And I think that's at the essence of creativity, and I think it's the essence of, again, broadening the perspective of who we are, that we're not who. We're not only who we think we are in this moment. Mm. We do have more choices, and that's that's your job mm. to find more choices. I absolutely love that. And again, it's something that I talk about a lot as well. About I think a lot of people are also people think that they're thinking, 
they're not mental activity does not constitute that's right and for yeah. me, a lot of people are so inside their own head the analogy i use is like they've got some water and it's just stirring the water up you can't see clearly right. to the bottom right. but as soon yeah. as you just calm the mind down you can then <laughs> see clearly to the bottom and that's when the creativity comes in so whenever i'm starting to do any sort of work i've got a little meditation thing next to me i'll just meditate for five minutes it calms my mind and i find that actually i make it it's a lot easier for me to retain information to get creative and all that sort of stuff now i'm not as creative as my cues so opposite like the poet and mr creative over there but again i understand that i do have creative abilities when i just set my mind so I, I love that you've said that alan honestly this has been a fantastic conversation where can people right. find out more information about you if they want to connect or buy the book where can they find information about you so uh they can go to the website practicing-kindness.com okay and there's all the information about the book and some me talking about things and a sample worksheet and things like that and then if they want more information about me they can just google me i'm, I'm all over the place there so I have a few other websites, and but they can start with the practicing kindness one. And so it goes back to what we said off air about your last name. There's not many uh, Questels out there, so they're all going to just Google you, and it's going to... Yeah, you won't find many. <laughs> not that many. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Alan, thank you very much for your time today. It's been incredible. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation a lot.